so now it's a matter of us pulling it all together to like the whole joint and, and putting on what I think will be a brilliant showcase for the sport. Yeah, we'll be honest with ourselves next week, as usual, and say, OK, this a stonking result, but what could we have done better? Finding that passion for racing again. You know, stop looking at it like my job and, and go back to just doing it because I love racing cars and I love competing and that's really what's changed this year. Hi everyone, welcome to Inside Supercars. Shane Van Gisbergen from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team here. Hello and welcome to another edition of Inside Supercars. I'm Craig Gravel, Tony Whitlock with me as well as we get set to preview the Sandown 500. We also hear this week from Macaulay Jones, who's locked in for 2020, and Mark Dutton. It's a big show, Tony, and we first go to our journos in the roundtable. It's uh, quite an exciting time, and some people are getting quite excited before we even start the show. So welcome to Tim Hodges from Fox Sport and ABC Radio. Tim, you're there. Uh, that might be my young bloke in the background, guys. We're just up at the train station. He loves watching trains, so he's uh, quite excited. Uh, well, let, let him be excited. We're qu- happy to have his excitement in the background. <laughs> Apologies. who doesn't have a child with him. He's from the Speed Cafe. Daniel, there, okay? I am okay, yes. Daniel Herrero. And the third one with us joining Craig and myself is Peter Norton, who is Supercars Magazine and Inside Motorsport. Welcome on board, Peter. Thank you, Tony. Okay, well, as we all know, Sandown this year feels a very different place. And in fact, it's a very uh, momentous occasion because it's the last 500. And this year will be the 48th running of the 500 and the 50th time that a touring car championship race will be held there. They used to be called the Australian Touring Car Championship. Then they became supercars, and uh, we all know what's happened since then. But it's a very uh, exciting time in some ways, the last one. But, of course, it's, uh, the races have been held at various venues. Sam and uh, moved from there to Phillip Island, and then up to Queensland, and next year, Tail and Ben. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's obviously a moving target. Tim, your feelings about the Sandown 500 and its demise? Oh, I'm really sad about the event, and I I will say, and I'm probably the opposite, but I loved it in September. I loved it as the warm-up for Bathurst. I loved that it was in ASL finals time because it was always semi-final weekend, which is, for mine, it's the one swap weekend in footy finals, and it was always there was a Friday night game and a Saturday night game, so it had total free air for Friday, for Saturday, for Sunday afternoon, that it had the opportunity to be the back page of the paper on Monday if the race was worthy of it. And I hate the fact that it's moved to November where it sort of just doesn't mean anything. And it's sandwiched in Cup Week here, which um, the weather's no better from September. It's dreadful this week, as you would have seen Derby Day, as you'll see tomorrow, as you'll, a Cup Day, as you'll see on Oaks Day. Um, it, it's a future forecast all week, right up to Sunday. And I, I will say, and I don't want to whinge, but the publicity for it is, dreadful you know you have to throw some money at this week because it is cup week here and right now i reckon most melburnians would have no idea that the sandown 500 is on this weekend yeah i think you're right there uh, daniel your feelings on the sandown you've, you've been to a couple of sandown 500s well, i've not been to the Sandown 500 itself no but I, i'm 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 sad that it's kind of lose its enduro status um i I understand what's happened with the calendar next year and all the reasoning for that is sound, but uh, I am a traditionalist, so it is it is sad to see that Sandown is essentially relegated to just another super sprint round. I do, it's, 
it is a great sort of traditional old-fashioned circuit and it's a great circuit to watch the cars race at. But, yeah, we'll just look forward to the last one and maybe it'll come back like it has a couple of times before. Guys, why wouldn't – I know Aaron Noonan was big on this. Why wouldn't they have kept it as two 250K races like it in Adelaide, uh, like at Newcastle at the end of the year, just to keep that 500 and to be able to sell it as the, the Sandown 500 when it just seems silly to, to shortchange it 100Ks of racing and have it as the Sandown 400 for next year? My view is it's a purely marketing situation, Tim, where they – don't want to keep saying Sandown 500, have everyone turn up on the Sunday to realise that they've only got half a race. So I think they've had to do it to differentiate it from the 500 in future. And I think they're probably getting ready. So I mean, it's such an ideal pocket of land. You guys have been there plenty of times, but, but you know it's going to be sold. It's just a matter of, it's it's a of, when, of when, not if. And it's going to sell for tens and tens of millions of dollars. We're going to lose Sandown eventually, and it's probably, I don't know, you guys probably know better, but it's probably three or four years away, not 10 or 12 years away. So I think they're probably trying to just downscale the event so it's not as big a loss as, as when it does go. Yeah, and certainly when you look at uh, what they've done with Tail and Bend, you know, it's way out in the country, 100k drive out of uh, Adelaide. It's certainly a venue that does attract itself because, you know, the pit lane at Sandown, of course, is way too small for uh, having the number of cars we've got competing in pit stops. Um, Peter, you obviously would have shot uh, around Sandown quite some time as a uh, mainline photographer. Uh, yes, Tony. I'm, I'm also a little bit sad at the loss of tradition, um, but I'm realistic as well. Uh, over the years, the, the access for, for the photography has been cut back and back and back. Uh, and perhaps the, the heritage and the history is overplayed uh, Tony, as you pointed out, the 500 has been in Queensland and Phillip Island. And I recall very fondly of uh, Paul Radisic uh, uh, winning the 500 while stranded in a sand trap. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I recall fondly uh, very close races at Phillip Island where uh, people have run out of fuel on the last lap and, uh, you know, passed as they, they come through the final turn. Uh, we don't need sand down. Uh, to produce the drama and create new history, uh, I think we have to uh, get with the times and, and move to a better facility. Um, this year is a bit of a, a waste year uh, uh, because, that, yeah, it is Cup Week and it's not getting publicity. This is just a, a transitional waste of the year. Uh, I'm looking forward to new drama at Talon Bend next time. It's interesting because, in fact, you know, the way in which the calendar worked this year, not having the 500 warm-up for the drivers, um, meant that the significance was dropped this year. Sort of the fact that the Sandown 500 is gone, it'll be the Talon Men 500 next year, um, so that, you know, drivers, team sponsors, everyone can get used to the idea that that's gone. But, uh, you know, it's certainly going to be a, a sad thing. But uh, one thing that, you know, we hope that they'll retain for next year, not transfer it to... Uh, Tail and Bend is the retro round. Um, uh, Tim, your feelings about uh, that particular facet of what's been happening at Sandown in recent years? Uh, I love it, but I mean, it's the penultimate event of the year, which it's the wrong, it's the wrong date for starters. And the penultimate race of the year, most teams are are um, on the bare bones of their backside by now, money wise. So I just are, are you. 
and you guys probably know better than me, is again, like, do you, do you know that there's many teams, because it doesn't feel like there's as many, anywhere near as many teams as the past that are actually buying into the retro round concept, just because, I mean, Red Bull did theirs at, at Bathurst. Uh, DJR has been flat knacker just to get two cars ready for, for this weekend after what Scott McLaughlin did on the Gold Coast. So it just seems like it's, uh, like Chaz Moster's car is an absolute ripper with the Moffat livery, but it seems like there's less and less teams actually buying into this this concept. And I think that's probably just down to the fact that funds, of, funds and budgets have just about dried up when it is yeah. the second last event of the year, which that's another one, guys, for me, is that I, I hate it being a co-driver event. Like We saw the drama of the penultimate event of the year last year in New Zealand when you had the great Shane Van Gisbergen and McLaughlin blow up at Pukekohe. I think when it, you know, imagine if the title was really alive now and you had multiple drivers, maybe three or four guys going for it, and, and you had the co drivers sort of in the way almost. That um, I just don't like the fact that the, the Enduro Cup goes this long into the championship, that it should be decided at the Gold Coast and then let the, the main protagonists duke it out for, for the championship like they did last year. And I'd say I'd, I'd even go for two, maybe three events where it's just the sole drivers fighting it out for, for the championship after the Enduro Cup's been run and won. Daniel, retro round? Yeah, uh, retro round. Love, love the idea, and Sandown, I think, is the best place to have it. Um, obviously, you know, Bathurst and Phillip Island have that sort of heritage, but I guess well, Phillip Island's not on the calendar next year, But um, and Bathurst has its own spotlight anyway. Um, no, I think that Sandown is a, a great place for it, and it's one thing that probably doesn't happen often enough in certainly Australian motorsport that you know that heritage and history is acknowledged and, and drawn on. So I quite like that. Uh, there won't, unfortunately, for whatever reason, there won't be as many cars running in retro liveries for this year. As we touched on, the big two, one and Triple Eight, did theirs um, at Bathurst, so that's a little bit of a down note, although having said that, um, I was trying to rack my brain before. I can't think of a retro livery that's ever actually won a supercars race, so that's an interesting one to note down. <laughs> Peter? Um, I'm also a big fan of the, the retro theme. Uh, I think that it's a, something we have to have. It's a great idea. And I note that supercars pitched for the extra date at Bathurst to have a... Uh, a Goodwood-inspired kind of weekend. Uh, and I hope that supercars take their enthusiasm and thinking for that and reinvest into uh, a bigger and better retro round into the future. And I, I agree with others that Sandown is the perfect place for that because of the big grandstand, uh, good facilities to come and have a, a, a picnic on the grass next to the car displays and those sorts of things. It really is best suited for that. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope that uh, it gets built upon in the future. Yeah, this year, it's a, it's a lost transitional year. Uh, I don't think that should spoil our enthusiasm for what they can do next time around. There's certainly some teams that have uh, grasped it and done great jobs of it. I, I can remember uh, uh, Walkinshaws when they were still HRT and they were running their retro liveries, running the late 90s livery, things like that. The cars were fantastic and they did a great job to recreate it. Uh, even simple ones like Brad Jones with the uh, uh, cool drive car when they uh, did it in the Benson Hedges livery, um, which uh, was uh, a... Uh, 
a memory for John Blanchard when he raced uh, BMW with uh, Benson Hedges on it. But yeah, look, I, I think it has great significance and, and and great worthiness, and particularly when some of the teams that have done it so well with um, the clothing as well, with the team uh, uniforms. I remember, you know, um, Red Bull and HRT um, both, you know, giving their, their drivers and crews uh, suitable livery to uh, to wear as well. Um, one of the things that uh, was significant at the Gold Coast, and I think you were both there. Yes, Daniel and Tim, yes, you were there. Um, Pete, I don't think you were there, were you? No, I didn't get to the Gold Coast. Right, okay. Well, the significant thing there was uh, the talk around the penalties handed out to uh, Team uh, DJR, Team Penske, and Car 12. Uh, it was certainly up and down pit lane. I assume that you guys uh, would have picked up on that, uh, Daniel? Yeah, there are a few people that still had a view on that by the time the Gold Coast rolled around. That's right. Yeah. And and they wanted to, to air their views to, to you. Did you pick that up? Yeah, yeah. There was a bit of that getting about. So there's still still some conjecture about um, whether those penalties were harsh enough or not. Yeah. Tim? Did you uh, have... It was a mess, and I thought um, after the the Sunday Bathurst was one of the the great days in the sports history. Um, you know, uh, an epic race, uh, an awesome winner. Like to have Roger Penske win, to have Dick Johnson win it again, to have Scott McLaughlin, what a champion he is for the sport. The TV numbers were astronomical. That the crowd there was awesome. Like it was, it was one of the greatest days in the sports history. And then the two weeks afterwards, for what the sport did to itself, uh, you know, it ate itself from from within. It was such a mess. I played out so publicly, and um, like I think everyone wishes they could have their time again, and that includes DJ Artem Penske, obviously, to put themselves in that position. But um, and I don't think really is anyone particularly satisfied with the result. So just a messy situation all round, unfortunately. Yeah, look, it's very sad as well for uh, Scotty and uh, Alex Pimmer to have their uh, their win clouded in such a way. Um, I know from talking to various people who were calling by the, the race team that it was for quite some days a very uh, forlorn place, uh, no joy at all because they just had this shadow hanging over them. Now, you know, it, I, I, I certainly think that, you know, it, it, Started with them, of course, not trying to take anything away from it. But uh, I feel that uh, the way in which supercars handled it was pretty atrocious. They didn't get on the front foot at all. Uh, they let the things fester like a, a an open wound, and I just think that they did an atrocious job. I think that uh, if we go back to the days of Cochrane in charge, much as uh, I have reason more than most to have a business about the man, the one thing that he always wanted to try and do was make sure that the wins were solidified solidified on the day and that there was no questions about it, whereas you know, the management uh, let the thing fester on for days after days. And I think that was a, a pretty sad, as you say, Tim, and the sport eating itself was uh, was pretty crook. Um, yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more and just run the sport properly. And, and I hate the fact that, you know, Scotty McLaughlin, the greatest moment of his career, was totally overshadowed to celebrate and he probably still isn't there's always going to be a bit of an asterisk there I know time will heal all wounds and and it will fade but it'll be there isn't it yeah yeah uh, Tony I, I think it actually has uncovered something that's fundamentally 
uh, difficult for the governance of the sport. And, and that is that the uh, supercars and their leadership uh, de- uh, defer or uh, delegate the sporting aspects to another organisation. Uh, and, of course, that's CAMS and the stewards and the, the whole of the judicial process that's involved there. And people brought out the FAI uh, uh, rule book. Uh, those sorts of things are very difficult. And what was lacking is leadership from supercars, uh, a figure like a Tony Cochran to get in front of the, the, the media and the teams and, and just read the right act uh, to say, you know, this, this was bad, this is what has to be done. Um, you know, clear, decisive leadership was very lacking on, on the, over these last couple of weeks. Okay, yeah. Um, just uh, one last issue on the safety cars. I mean, uh, Tim, are you aware that there are going to be some rule changes that coming up for this year, or are they all for next year? Uh, I just want them to get it right, whatever they do. And, um, I mean, ideally... I would love one pit boom for every car so every car can be independent so we don't have to have these situations where we're worried about double stacking and holding the field up. But, you know, that's obviously never going to happen. So whatever they come up with, they've got to fix it and not have this situation again. Yep. Okay. All right, let's move on to some new subjects. Um, Let's just look at uh, 2019 and the drivers who you think will be uh, saddling up again in 2020. Uh, Daniel, um, there's obviously been news uh, just recently about Heimgartner. We've got, uh, we know that um, Macaulay Jones is back, um, but we're still hearing, waiting to hear about Slade and Hazelwood. Do Silvestro is likely not to be there? Um, have you got any feelings on the list of drivers you think won't be in there in 2020? I think you're pretty well on the money there regarding De Silvestre. I think she will will probably see her uh, have an expansion of her Formula E commitments now that she's been uh, snapped up by Porsche to be one of their test or reserve drivers. Uh, I don't think that's the very last we'll see of her, but at this point in time, it's looking like we won't see as much of her next year. Uh, Slade, Slade, I think we'll see around. I'm not not convinced he'll be in the same team, but um, I'd be somewhat surprised if he didn't end up with a full-time drive again. Hazelwood is an interesting one because it, um, well, it's just, it's all but being confirmed. I think it was kind of almost let slip back this weekend that he won't be at MSR, MSR next year. Uh kind of up in the air right now as to where he goes. I think those are the main ones. I mean, you mentioned Heimgarten before, so Kelly Racing goes from four cars to two, so then there's a question mark about Jacobson, although last we spoke to him, he was pretty optimistic about um, about being on the grid or having a good drive next year, so I think he's he's not done yet, and that's good to see as well because we've seen his potential Super 2 Series winner I think it's always, you know, it's always harder first year, especially, you know, in a team that has struggled for so long with those ultimates. So obviously, you know, Kelly Racing looking for past year's new thoughts, and I think Jacobson will be as well. So I think that he'll probably be around next year still. Um, Tim, have you can, 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 can I add one to the mix, guys? Yeah. Oh, James Courtney. 
Is he a locket team 18 or do the uh, the Sydney team next year? Because I hear there's a little unrest there that he's no certainty to be there. So maybe watch his space uh, on what happens. But uh, from what I've heard, that not all is as uh, as it probably should be, or as they'd wish it would be for a fledgling team on the on the brink of you know a countdown really to be ready for for 2020. Yeah, well, certainly. Uh... Uh, I'd, be, I'd be surprised if he wasn't there because I, I don't know if anybody else picked up, but uh, both at Bathurst and at Gold Coast, James Courtney showed uh, uh, enthusiasm and optimism and care for other people that I haven't seen from him for years, almost back to Stone Brothers' time. Um, he has become a uh, quite removed and aloof uh, person in recent years. Uh, I was certainly glad to see the uh, the old uh, one back again, um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. And of course, we're still waiting for confirmation as to whether there will be twenty three or twenty four cars, because that still is up in the air about the uh, the second wreck for the Sydney team. Which, of course, um, I'm pretty certain, uh, you know, should it, or when it happens, it will be known as techno. By the way, I don't even name names in the year. Still plenty more to come on Inside Supercars with Mark Dutton and Macaulay Jones. But after the break, we continue the roundtable with Tim Hodges. And don't forget his podcast, Balls and Bumpers, with Jack Rewalt and Scott McLaughlin, Speed Cafe's Daniel Herrero, and Inside Motorsport and Supercar Magazine's Peter Norton. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Dick Johnson from DJR Team Penske. And you're on Inside Supercars. Welcome back. We continue our round table with Tim Hodges, Daniel Herrero and Peter Norton. And of course, take it away, Tony. Just one last thing maybe we could talk about um, uh, Scotty McLaughlin and the championship. I just wonder as to think that Scotty will lock up the championship this weekend. Uh, I think, uh, honestly, if you're asking me, guys, I hope Scott McLaughlin looked at the US Grand Prix this morning and no one cares that Lewis Hamilton finished second this morning. He just won the World Championship for a sixth time. Yeah. I hope Scott McLaughlin takes that on board. And I, I don't think it really matters where he finishes this weekend as long as he can lock up his second back-to-back, a second title, a back-to-back title before Newcastle. I think that would take the load off him mentally. And I think it would be a great way for him to bounce back. It's just be conservative this weekend would be my advice to him. And race for points. Race to make sure you've got more than enough before the end of the weekend to, to secure the title. Daniel? That's uh, a much more relatively straightforward one to answer. His lead is 463 points at the moment. So uh, even if we assume that he DNFs his Saturday sprint race, which is highly unlikely, that means he need only finish ninth or better in the 500 itself on Sunday to get to that magic mark where he would be unassailable but 
for the extremely narrow chance of them scoring no points and incurring points penalties at Newcastle. So it's not, it can't ever be, you know, formally settled this weekend. But in terms of getting beyond a round's worth with one to go, um, that's highly likely. Just to point out that when he has finished this year, only once has he finished worse than fourth, I say, as I try and scroll down. And that was at Townsville when he had that drama on the Sunday, first, second corner, technically, with David Reynolds. So, yeah, assuming that he finishes on Sunday afternoon, then it's highly likely that he is going to have enough to put it beyond that 300-point barrier with just Newcastle to go. The one thing, Peter, that uh, does come into play, of course, is the penalty that uh, DJ Team Pinky got, plus the demotion uh, of uh, Coulthard back to 21st, meant that they, you know, in one foul swoop, 420 points taken from the lead that Penske had over Triple Eight. Um, that's put into play now, 132, 134 points. It obviously is very possible for uh, Triple Eight to snatch uh, that team's championship, which is an incredibly important one for Roland's mind and also, I think, for Roger Penske. Um, I agree that... Uh... Uh, the Bathurst the, the shenanigans uh, will definitely come into play in, in working at that team's championship. Uh, and many uh, people speculated that perhaps the, the most uh, fitting penalty for uh, the, the Penske team is for them to go towards the, uh, the entry end of pit lane. Uh, that way they pay the price for, for their shenanigans uh, every race throughout the, all of next year. Uh, anyway, the, the rules didn't allow them to uh, impose that greater penalty. Um, so, yeah, I, I think your, your reading of the numbers there is spot on. Um, yeah, it would take an awful lot to go wrong for Scott not to stitch up the, the championship. Now, some teams might struggle to put uh, a brand-new car together so quickly uh, and then to have a, a long race without major hiccups. So, uh, you yeah, know, it's possible that uh, a DNF on Sunday could happen. But I think uh, Penske and, and other teams of that quality, uh, they don't turn up with a car that's half-cooked um, and their quality assurance procedures are pretty strong. So I, I think he'll be competitive just like uh, every other round. Yeah, indeed. Tim, uh, your feelings on team championship, do you think that uh, uh, if Triple Eight win it, they'll have done it fair and square? Oh, well, it's a really difficult one to answer. I mean, I'd love to get the gauge on where you guys think it will end up. Will, will it be Triple Eight or will it be DJR? And if it is DJR, will people always be a bit bitter for them winning that? Yeah. Um, look, I, I think uh, the penalties have been handed out. Um, I don't think they can keep on being penalised in the future. Uh, you know, there are some people like uh, Barry Ryan, for instance, who... Uh, most vocal about uh, the penalty should have been exclusion for both cars. Um, that's not a provision within the rules for them to do that. I, I think the teams need to move on. I mean, we all know that uh, you know, dominant teams have always, uh, uh, in some way, shape or form, uh, manoeuvred the rules to suit themselves. I was rather interested to hear of a major player in our sport uh, told a senior executive in the uh, technical side this year that uh, used the line, uh, you'll never catch us cheating. Um, now, it wasn't said, you know, we're never going to cheat, but you'll never catch us, you're not clever enough. Um, 
which is a uh, a very damning uh, expression. As somebody, uh, Tim, you've been around AFL a fair amount. Uh, I think it was one of the most dreadful things that uh, ever happened around Essendon was that they actually had printed and stuck up on a wall the expression, whatever it takes. Uh, a very unfortunate saying, and I almost have that feeling that uh, that's being bandied around uh, by some teams, uh, maybe one team in particular, uh, in our sport now, which is certainly well short of where we want to see our sport going. I couldn't agree more, and, and that's what I said before. It's such a an unfortunate, ugly, murky time since Bathurst, which was such a great event, and um, I hate it as a result. Um, and, and you only have to look at Essendon, and, and I've, you know we've really lived through it down here in, in football land. That this is a footy club that's been decimated for the the best part of nearly a decade, and there's still no sign of them getting out of it, Essendon. So um, that's what footy takes a lot of hits. AFL, NRL does the same, but I'm not sure motorsport is able to withstand those kind of hits, and they've certainly taken a, a decent one over the last few weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the thing, though, the, the Bathurst thing, it, I, I don't like the result not necessarily being known on the day, but that kept Bathurst in the news for much longer. And I subscribe to this theory almost wholly that any publicity is good publicity. It kept supercars in the media for quite a long time. I don't think we would have heard about it on the Sunday between Bathurst and the Gold Coast if it wasn't. For, for what went on and it's important to note as well that the stewards hearing did take place that weekend in between when you would assume that you know teams would normally have the time off that they got it out of the way a few days before the Gold Coast where the indication was although not technically confirmed that it was going to happen sort of on that Thursday or Wednesday up at surface before they hit the track as to the teams championship it's Obviously, well, it was 132 points now, which um, which is definitely gettable for Triple Eight. They need to they need to rely on one of the DJR's intensity cars to have a bad race here or there and drop some points. But that's probably the the really interesting one at the moment, given that there are still 650 on the table with the sprints at Sandown actually counting for points in the way they've done the point system this year so it's that that's um in terms of the team's championship stand down funnily enough is actually mathematically the most important event of the season they're usually all equal so um you know i think i think it's gettable and the fact that it is so close now in part because that 420 point whack that the jar tempensky took from bathurst all told is it, it is what it is the jar tempensky admitted to the breach, the stewards established it, the 300 points, while, you know, the stewards deemed it was a serious breach given, you know, the nature of the race and the profile and just what DJ Team Penske did. So that was the maximum points penalty. And then obviously the 120 is kind of incidental to the demotion of the car in question. Um, and it's important to note as well that it was the team that got penalised and not Car 17 because Stewards never established a breach there. But I think it does it does give Triple Eight a bit of a lifeline, but they'll take it. And I think that's probably the one of the big storylines that's going to be fascinating for the next couple of events. I will can, can I can I just agree and disagree there that I I just think it's unprofessional for the sport to not have a, a winner official, and especially for the you know the over the a million people who tune in 
and you know some of those are just one day a year to the sport and you have to be able to give them an official winner certainly by the the monday afternoon if nothing else but maybe the the public i'll disagree with you tim because it wasn't that long ago that we had triple eight uh protesting the exclusion of, or the, the penalty for jamie Wincup. Now- yeah and that and that and that, and that, and that craig Hey Craig, that was that was a dog's breakfast as well, Craig. So you have to have an official winner by, I'll say Monday. But for the person but who just the... watches it once a day, Tim, uh, once a year, Tim, they saw Will Davison spray the champagne. They saw Scotty spray the champagne. And next year, when they tune in, if they get told something different, well, they'll scratch their head and maybe Google it. Yeah, the sport looks stupid for I reckon forty-eight hours, which is unfortunate and not what we want, but. Maybe the publicity was good because you only have to look at the TV figures from the Gold Coast. They were they were brilliant again, especially on Fox Sports, and I'm biased towards Fox Sports where I work. But you know, it absolutely dwarfed the MotoGP, which is crazy that, that it will be on the same weekend. And, and on Sunday, the race actually beat the first uh, 2020 International of the year, and that's something that Fox Cricket threw everything at. You know, they brought Warney out early, they had Adam Gilchrist, and they stacked that commentary team. They wanted it to to be a real racing success and the supercars outrated it, which is awesome on paid television. So the sport is in a great position and maybe that's on back of, on the back of all of the publicity over the two weeks from Bathurst leading into Surface Paradise. I'll just counter that with a comment. Um, I drove to both Bathurst and the Gold Coast and then back down south again. I drove about 5,000 kilometres in the last month and um, I'm sure, Tim, that while you work in radio, I probably listen to more different radio stations than anybody else at this table. And uh, the one thing was I found it very sad to listen to, and it wasn't, I'm not pointing at any particular person who went on radio, uh, and uh, it was much the, uh, you know, what was that, uh, what's that guy's name on, um, oh, I can't think of his name now, um, Mickey, Michael, Mickey, whatever his name is, you know, the guys who do breakfast radio sort of shows, um, the way in which they were, uh, you know, making fun of motorsport because of, you know, someone went really slow and all that sort of thing. It just, I, I just felt very sad for the sport I love and have loved for 50 years um, that to have that it being denigrated in that way. Um, Tony, uh, yeah, Tony yeah. I, I'm with you. And, and uh, in this instance, I'm not so sure that any publicity is good publicity. And, and I'm thinking, please bear with the, uh, uh, the, the, the business nerd for a little while. Um, the, the Banking Royal Commission uh, is the best example where people pushed the rules. Some of them got caught, but some of the bad things they were doing were, were you know, sort of on the grey area of the rules. But what that's uncovered is that we all operate in, either in our sport like Essendon, uh, or you know, motorsport or business with a social license. Uh, the community allows us to do our, our various things. And I think that what the world, Australia has seen uh, in the, the follow-up from Bathurst is a sport where a team has questionable culture and ethics. Uh, that they, they, they cross the line. Now, that may not be my view of it, but I think that's what the media coverage across those weeks really uncovered, is that there was dirty play, there was a piece of sandpaper, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, whatever it takes is what people saw, and I don't think that was a good look for the sport. If someone was a lifelong Dick Johnson fan, 
holding out to see another win at Bathurst, and now they've got that bit of taste in their mouth. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty disappointing outcome. Uh, so, uh, and, and I have noted that uh, the DJR team, Penske, uh, in lots of subtle little ways, uh, they're, they're chipping away at positive PR steps in the weeks that have followed. Uh, I think they realise the damage that they've done to their brand and the brand of the sport. Right. Yeah, but just I, I, honestly, questionable ethics. Like, it, it was a cocker. They made a dreadful decision. I think if they had their, you know, a hundred out of a hundred times, they would take it back. But they made the call on the fly, and I think that would but be. I, I, I think that's that, that's where people disagree. Uh, I think what upset the the stewards uh, when they watched the, the the replays and listened back to the tapes is that it would appear to have been a premeditated strategy that they had in their little cabinet uh, that if this happens, play this script. Um, just on that, yeah, uh, uh, no, Tim, um, I happen to know firsthand from somebody involved in that stewards meeting, I can't say who it was, that Ryan's story talking to Greg Murphy played a big impact in the whole inquiry really getting momentum the way in which Ryan's story acted to camera, he showed a, a scant regard uh, for the way in which things were, were, were run, and he uh, he played folly with it, and uh, that played a major part in the way in which they the stewards went about it. Well, there's no doubt, guys. It was it was a cluster from all angles. The the fact that they did it. The fact that Fabian was so ridiculously blatant in doing it, Ryan's, you know, he, he would love to take his time back again. And, you know, he's put a ban on himself from doing media going forward because of it. Um, you know, so it, it was one bad decision that played out a number of different ways. And it's hurt, it's hurt the team. You're right. It, it has absolutely hurt the team. And they'll suffer from this for a long time. And oh, if they could take this moment back, they absolutely would but, but I, I think the main problem was just that they overegged it. Um, you know, we see, you know, that the C word's been thrown around a lot. You talk about, you know, there were there were some that made the allegation of of cheating, but we have seen, you know, DJ Simpensky is not the first team that's had a car slow down when the safety car comes out to avoid stacking. I I can remember cases of it happening before. It was, and I I go. I take a slightly different tack to maybe um, others here. There's a bit of gamesmanship there and bending the rules. It's you know it's sport. It wasn't a life or death scenario there. I think that's part of the gamesmanship. I think there's the fact that they just overregged it and they got caught. And like you say, that interview when um, Greg Murphy, I just think he's in that uh, sarcastic response he gave to one of Ryan Story's answers, probably really. Uh, blew it open or contributed to it, as you said. But no, I think that it was just, you know, they, they went for something I think most other teams would do, and I think some have admitted it. And I've, I'm only going off the top of my head at the moment, but I think some have even said publicly on, on TV that it was just because it's so ridiculously blatant that it got looked at. We've seen it before, and I dare say we'd see something like it again. They'd just be more careful next time. Yes, indeed, and I think that we should one last thing on on a more positive note. Um, Last year at uh, Sandown 500, we saw a a triple eight trifecta. 
What do we think is going to happen this year? Who do you think is going to be on the podium? Maybe, uh, Tim, if you want to push off with yours, it's hard to go past, but uh, what do you think of the Triple Eight uh, double? Yeah, I think they're going to be the cars to catch again, and they'll take great confidence out of what they were able to do on the Gold Coast. So I think St. Gisberg and Tander, uh, for mine, uh, will be the, the car to catch. And I think Scott McLaughlin will play uh, conservative for probably the first time in his career just to make sure that he gets the job done, he gets the points he needs, and he'll be crowned champion on Sunday night for uh, back-to-back occasions, which will be a, a great moment for, for the young star. All right, Daniel? I think we saw the the, you know, the advantage that Triple Eight had, or Triple Eight, the Holden teams, Triple Eight particularly last year, with the relative stability of the ZB Commodores. You know, we're talking about how much wing that, um, DJ Tempensky had to take off to try and match him in the straight. That's kind of all been neutralised now, hasn't it? We've had all these um, parity adjustments and everyone's got a lot more downforce for uh, at least the remainder of this year. Some of that will come off again. So it's going to be much closer. I think, yeah, I, I, I think I'm still inclined to go Triple Eight by a nose. I think, though, I think that DJ Tempensky, particularly Car 17, will be much closer. I think that gut feel that Triple Eight will just edge them but um, I think they'll give it a good shake from Penske Lands. Okay, Peter? I think it could be an absolute cracker because there's a lot of teams, a lot of drivers with points to prove and I think they'll uh, uh, some of those will try some outrageous things to, uh, to, to win, whether it's through strategy or elbows out driving. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I think that Triple Eight uh, have uh, are well ahead of the game on the last parity adjustment they showed that at the Gold Coast, uh, and they're a team that uh, is just so so frequently get it right. Uh, so I think that, uh, uh, that they will be the, the ones to beat, and I think Tickford will uh, be the ones to, to take the challenge up to them. All right. Craig, do you want to uh, put your oars in the water? Put your oars in the water? Peter and I didn't talk about this, but I think, I think we're going to have a, a situation where uh, Chas Moster's going to break the retro livery hoodoo, and I think Chas Moster could be the winner uh, with Triple Eight right behind. My view is that uh, uh, Penrite Erebus, they'll uh, step forward. They, uh, they've been dancing around the wings a little bit, and I think they're going to come out and slam it. But, uh, that's my own view. But uh, Daniel, Tim, Peter, thank you so much. Cool, thank Thanks, you, fellas. After the break on Inside Supercars, it's Mark Dutton. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two lap the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to grab, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones. I'm from the Cool Drive Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. I'm with Craig Ravel. Tony Whitlock here, and we're joined by Mark Dutton. Mark, fresh off a, a successful weekend, a highly successful weekend on the coast of uh, Queensland. Um, Mark, uh, it was an amazing weekend, and obviously it ticked every box you could for the weekend. Maybe not a pair of poles, but uh, uh, the wins that you got and the one-twos that you wanted. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, almost a perfect weekend, as you said, um, 
and you know, full credit to, to drivers and, and engineers and, and, the, and the whole crew, really. Uh, we rolled out the truck fast and um, the you know, drivers did an awesome job of, uh, of keeping the cars clean. Um, yeah, it, it is very important to, to, to have a smooth weekend and it does, it does start with those two things, having a, a decent car out of the truck and then, um, and then the drivers you know, playing their part and, uh, and giving the engineers time to, time to tune the car uh, and then the pit crew uh, they, they were faultless it was uh, it was spectacular um, across across all the days but it was it was good fun to be part of when you know, you, you always wait for, for you know something something to, to go a little bit crazy and uh, and and go not quite your way but uh, for sure the as I said the pit crew were faultless and and the drivers and engineers so um, yeah pretty pretty stoked to have a weekend like that Okay, that very thing we'll we'll start the uh, talk today about because I ran to you on Thursday um, moments after the uh, pit stop challenge had run, and unfortunately you guys had not succeeded. But for a variety of reasons, it was not the uh, crew that were going to be doing the pit stops that normally do. Tell us about the problems that you had when you were, in fact, uh, recruited into the team. (laughs) <laughs> I keep joking with the crew that uh, that I want to get a go on, on, on one of the wheels. So uh, we had a little bit of an injury uh, just in a couple of lead-up uh, practices just before, literally minutes before um, before rolling down to get ready for for the actual uh, event. And uh, so yeah, there was uh, I had to I had to throw a suit on and uh, and be a wheel feeder. Um, it, that's a relatively simple job. Uh, Compared to compared to what the guys and girls usually go through, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't in the midst of a race or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, it was it was unfortunate one of our, our, our guys got injured. So, uh, but he was he, uh, he he'll be fine. Yeah, um, I, I happen to know it was Jason Briggs, and I know Jason well. I've known him in the team for a long time, and he would have done maybe not tens of thousands, but certainly many many hundreds of wheel changes. But it's just an example of. How this is something that uh, can go wrong very simply. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't even in doing uh, doing the pit stops as such. It was just uh, that the, they'd thrown a couple of wheels on as a bit of a practice, and then were was putting that car back in the garage and uh, and just had uh, yeah some some wrong finger placement. Um, yeah, so it uh, yeah it it shows that you can never drop your guard e- even for a second. And as you said. Uh, uh, Jason Briggs is actually the the longest serving Triple Eight uh, employee, so yep. um, you know from Briggs days, etc. So yeah, it, it uh, you can never drop your guard in any industry. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, obviously uh, ours is no different to, to others. Now, one um, of the yeah, major the reasons. Ideal. Yeah, one of the major reasons I really wanted to talk to you today was Mark, and I did want to talk to you on the time at the weekend, but. Obviously, you're busy in pack-ups, and uh, there's no rest for the wicked or the good ones either. You're very wicked. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I, I have always been so impressed with, and it, it's, in, it's in your tenure at Triple uh, Eight, that the way in which the team has bounced back when, when challenged, and those challenges have come from many different sectors over the last 10 or more years, um, whether it's yeah. the, the fact that... Uh, you have an off weekend um, and something goes wrong, or it's as in the case of DJR Penske, or a couple of years back it was the the, uh, the people down at Tickford uh, ProDrive, uh, or some time further back when it was HRT, as in Walkinshaws. Uh, 
yep. that your team has shown far more resilience in being able to bounce back from those adversities to to you know recreate the form. Now, you know, to have a pair of one twos on a weekend in such a highly competitive category is extraordinary. Now, it it it, it goes beyond just car speed, you know, because you know you've got to have the elements all right to do this. And you know, quite clearly, you did. I mean, okay, you weren't, didn't have the, didn't win the pit stop competition, but you know, <laughs> there's, there are many other things that you won along the way. And clearly, um, it must be uh, it's amazing to be around a bunch of people. And you know, it usually emanates from a person, so maybe it, it is Roland's the, the genesis of all this. But give us some, some idea on on. To actually recover, I mean, you, you had good speed at Bathurst, but obviously, you know, there was more needed. Yeah, when you talk about the resilience um, and etc., as you said, bouncing back, um, it, it is a, it is the cliche. It is uh, it is uh, never giving up. Uh, you know, putting the hard yards in, um, but it's more than that. Uh, it, it's having it's having really good direction. So. Uh, you know, Roland's always uh, led led from the front there with, uh, you know, never accepting, um, yeah, mediocrity, uh, or or accepting things that aren't right. So he's not he's not shy, and um, and he cops a lot of flack from it from the from the from fans etc. But uh, he's not shy in in, uh, in picking up the phone if there's if there's issues and there, uh, and and some of the issues are inside our control and some are outside our control. So um, you know, he he's excellent at that. Uh, and the, the whole team just just gets stuck in. You know, it's it's one of those things that um, you know behind the scenes this year has been a massive massive workload for for us. Um, and I'm not saying any more than anyone else, but I mean, I I I, I work here. No, but uh, you, so know, you know what your measure is, though. Yeah, there's not your... many hours left in the day, so <laughs> uh, it, it it is one of those things, and. Uh, it's it's people not giving up. Everyone everyone has that desire to win, that desire to succeed, um, and and we we hate failing. And and for us, we measure failing in in not getting the success on track. So uh, that's something that we we work very very hard on to to rectify. And and um, and that's been been shown in the last round since uh, since New Zealand. We've obviously um, you know when the cars have. Have uh, have finally been put a little bit closer to, to together on the on the on the parity that dirty word. Um, uh, you see all the hard work that the engineers and crew and drivers have been doing all year. Um, you know we've effectively, unfortunately, been been fighting with one hand behind our back, but uh, we we didn't uh, we didn't sit around and, and and sulk about it. What we did was work hard on the tools that we could. Um, and then when there was some, some little adjustments, all those tools we've been working so tirelessly on uh, really started paying dividends. So that's why you've seen that uh, that instantaneous jump up um, in, in our performance. And um, and it doesn't mean it's going to be for every track. Uh, yeah, there's, there's still some differences there. But um, no, it's it's just a credit to the old saying, just the the, the hard work. The, the more you put in, the uh, the more you get out. With the very thing that uh, you got maximum points for you, and and obviously uh, uh, DJR Team Penske, you know, while leading the point score, took a major blow. First of all, Scotty um, not being able to race on the Saturday on the Sunday, 
uh, and then having had that 420 point, the gap is now an hour to 132. That's a major target for your team, isn't it, to, to get the team championship, not just because of being in, in the top pit lane. It's also somewhat of a bragging rights. Yeah, it's it's something that it's we're a very proud of. Not, I don't mean to belittle it by saying bragging rights, but it's a major. No, 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 I, no, no. I, I know what you mean, and it is. It is something that um, you know we we do pride ourselves on on giving uh, both our cars, or when you have three cars, all equal opportunity, and I, and I think it reflects that. It, it reflects um, the opportunity that you give ac- across your cars, and and the work the the team has done all season. So. Um, it doesn't get the limelight of the drivers' championship, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, but it is something that that we hold in 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 high regard. So uh, as you said, there there is that side, um, and there is we do put a lot of weight also in the fact that uh, being up that end of pit lane, uh, you know, you're you're first onto the track, you're maximising practice time and and qualifying time, etc. You know, all of those little things do add up, um, and and that's a, a, a sort of a, a reward for for the hard work throughout the year. Tano, how much easier, harder has it been this year, being just two cars again, not having to have the extra car on the extra boom? No, um, uh, well, I mean, there were some logistic things that you can say have been easier, but um, we were on top of those, so. Uh, it's something that we we have missed uh, for sure. You know, having having uh, the third car input with uh, with Craig Lowndes driving it and uh, and Johnny McGregor engineering uh, definitely is something that uh, would have been great to have this year. Uh, it was a lot of value uh, last year and, and, and years before. So uh, for sure, it was something that uh, we would have loved to have had. Uh, but uh, the fact that we've had, uh, had had Craig as a co-driver and and also Garth coming on board this year. Um, meant that any opportunity we could we could put them in the car um, was definitely not wasted time. Having Garth there as well would I imagine add uh, another dimension because while um, Earl Bamba and um, oh um, not Chris Vanderdrift I can't think of who it was. It was Alex, Alex Prema before yeah yeah Alex Prema yeah. of course um, but um, having Garth so experienced in these cars. It must have been another dimension. I mean, I, I remember sitting in the press conference and listening to Garth talking about how he and Shane had talked some years ago about how, you know, racing together sort of thing. That was really interesting because clearly they had spoken about it at the time. That must be another dimension in the same way, you know, putting Jamie and, and Craig back together. Yeah, it's it's been fantastic. Garth, uh, for me, has been one of those drivers that... Uh, you always respected. You always knew he was uh, he was a level level A one driver, and um, you know it, it was it was one when you you, know, you saw in in more recent times when he wasn't you know getting uh, getting the results that you knew he was capable of. It it always it did it did make you wonder. Um, you know, it, it'd be correct to to give him a, give him a steer of one of our cars and. Um, and, and see feedback. It was. It's. Uh, I liken it to when we uh, when we were fortunate enough to have Scafie drive in the car. Um, you know those those legends of the sport who have been there for a long time and, and achieved you know a, a lot. Um, yeah, you you love working with them because uh, that they have so much to offer and there's still so much to learn about about the cars, about the tracks, about uh, you know how teams work, etc. So having Having that fresh input from Garth, um, it's it's been fantastic. 
Heading to Sandown, of course, uh, there's another dimension there because last year you did the unprecedented. One, two, three. <laughs> yeah, we can't match that one this year, unfortunately. No, no. Um, but, uh, yeah, they were, they were, that, was a, that was an excellent race for us last year. We've been quite fortunate at, at Sandown in the past. Um, yeah, Jamie thinks uh, the engines work at their best there, so uh, hopefully hopefully they can again this weekend. Um, must be something yeah, south of the border. Uh, yeah, have, have that extra grunt with a nice cold, uh, yeah, fresh air. Um, no, nah, nah, but uh, no, nah, we love it down there. Uh, it'll be challenging. It'll uh, it'll definitely be challenging. We saw at Bathurst that uh, our cars are a bit uh, a bit more draggy than we'd like them to be at the moment. Um, so that uh, that that no doubt will play a part at at Sandown. Um, no, there should be no surprises there. Uh, it'll just be. Uh, us trying to see what we can do to get the car balance, get the car speed, minimise drag, etc. Um, more than the opposition, it uh, it'll be a challenge for sure. Dado, having seen Jamie start at Triple Eight and and go through and do so many amazing things, uh, a lot of them under your immediate tutelage, and then obviously with Couchy now. What do you think when you start hearing about him talking about life after main game or life after being the main driver, other than feeling old? <laughs> Me feeling old or him feeling old? Jeez, mate, come on. Uh, no, um, well, it's one of those things because um, I, I do like the fact that he does keep uh, referring to when he's, um, um, uh, what's, the, what's the word, you know, no longer competitive. Um, because I can't see that happening anytime soon. So I, I, I hope that this, uh, this talk goes on for the next year, sort of, uh, yeah, 10 years or so. Uh, because I have no doubt that, um, that Jamie will be competitive for, for a long time to come. So I think, uh, I think if he does decide, uh, it, it'll be for other reasons, not, not, uh, for, for, for lack of being, being competitive because, He's a competitive person, and he's a he's a very fast driver. Has amazing uh, feel and feedback for a race car. So, um, yeah, we've definitely spoken before how people are going to uh, when he is done, people are going to go. I remember seeing Jamie Winkup, which probably wasn't their reaction when he was doing what he was doing, which was dominating. Yeah, that's right, it, and it, it's a bit of a classic uh, in in Australia in particular. You know. Um, there, there is always a bit of a whether whether it's a tall poppy thing or whether it's supporting underdogs when you're having success, uh, continued success at uh, at a higher level, you're not always uh, as celebrated as, as possibly you should be, or or, or as recognised for the for the for the greatness or the brilliance that uh, you might be displaying, whatever sport that may be. So uh, I think you're right. It, it might be uh, it might be the case of when. Uh, when he does uh, hang up the, the the racing gloves and helmet, that um, that people look back and say, "Wow, he he was uh, he was more spectacular than we we possibly gave him credit for at the time." Now, JJ returning to the team, how are you, much are you looking forward to getting that knowledge bank back in board with what he's been doing? Mate, I I, I can't wait. Um, uh, JJ and myself uh, were at um, we're at Larco's together. And then Briggs Motorsport together, and then Triple Eight together. So um, I'm I'm so proud of of what he's he's achieved over overseas, um, both for for a friend, but also for someone from the supercars category. Um, yeah, I 
I love when we uh, when we give tours to non motorsport people through through Triple Eight. Um, he's always an example I, I bring up of of how well respected supercars is around the world. The fact that he could he, he could leave uh, little old Brizzy and uh, and and walk straight into the, the high level role and be successful at it that that, it, that he has. So yeah, really excited and uh, and looking forward to him uh, him coming back. You, of course, uh, know the expression, you mustn't let rest on your laurels. Well, I'm thinking that actually you'll be resting on sort of JJ because he's become the laurel master, hasn't he? You know, <laughs> a pair of Le Mans wins, a pair of WEC championships, you know. He's a laurel master, the maker of laurels. <laughs> no, well, mate, there's, there's no resting on him, mate. We'll, uh, we'll keep pushing and, and he'll be part of that. Uh, um, I am really looking forward to... To hearing his, his storage uh, st- stories and uh, and and the and the different uh, knowledge he's, he's been exposed to, it is one of those things that when you go to those size teams with the budgets they have, um, I'm sure there's the opportunity to answer questions that uh, that we necessarily don't have the the resources or budgets to answer. Um, you know, different technical questions and. Um, yeah, through through not just uh, car handling and suspension, but also just component design for cars, and uh, oh, there's so many questions. Talk to uh, Jeff Slater, who flew back for a week uh, recently. I spoke to him at to the Gold Coast, and he talks about the budget that they were chasing, something like half a second on fuel flow. Um, the budget was spent just to to get that half second improvement on fuel flow. <laughs> Wow. Uh, during pit stops, you know, sort of thing, yeah. and um, yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's him just racing in America, not the factory team or a factory BMW team um, in uh, Rail Lanigan, but uh, yeah, so yes, uh, and when does JJ actually uh, uh, front and centre on the team? Yeah, he should be here. Uh, yeah, end of the month, where where we'll be we'll be setting up a desk for him. Uh, I, I'm, I've been told, so um, yeah, no, looking forward to it. And, and what immediate task is there? Have you got a specific thing that he? This is what you do first. Uh, I mean, no. First of it, we'll just be uh, we'll, we'll be just get, getting back into the team, and um, yeah, he, he'll be he'll be on the tools straight away. Uh, there's there's so much to do here. Yeah, we're we're looking at different car uh, aero package for next year, etc. Yep. Um, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, so it'll he'll uh, he'll hit the ground running. Um, it, it won't be a, a, a cruise into Christmas by any stretch of the imagination. It uh, unfortunately never is here. Um, but yeah, he'll, he'll be he'll be inputting uh, into the team straight away. First day back, I'm sure he'll be uh, he'll be engrossed in the team and, and working hard. Dado, everyone talks about uh, when Steve Hallen used to come in for debriefs and how everyone would uh, love the stories. What's the stories like from Sam Michael? They were amazing. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, someone of, of, of Sam Michael's pedigree is, is, is so smart for Roland to, to have organised uh, the mentoring that he did. Um, uh, he's, he's such a great guy and, uh, and so smart as well. So. He's he's one of those ones that uh, he has uh, has 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 both facets. You know, he he knows people and, and he knows technical. So, um, no, it was it was amazing the time here. And he's he's still uh, he's still a guy that if uh, if you if you give him a call, he'll pick up the phone and, and have a have a long old chat with you. He's uh, I have so much time for Sam, um, and and have learned a lot from him. So, 
no, I can't sing his praises enough either. Well, thank you so much, Mark Dutton, the uh, general general manager, no, team manager, <laughs> team manager. <laughs> of Triple Eight, a Red Bull HRT. Um, it's been delightful. I, I know that uh, we'll enjoy watching the challenge of the uh, two major players in the 2019 Championship going head-to-head over the next two rounds. I look forward to watching it, and I'll certainly catch up with you uh, before and after the event to uh, get your latest uh, what's happening. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you uh, for the time today, guys. Our thanks to Mark Dutton there after the break. It's Macca. Macaulay Jones here on Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bet Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome to Inside Supercars. This is Ryan Story from DJR Team Penske. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're with Macaulay Jones, who has just been confirmed by Tim Blanchard and BJR for his second year in Supercars in the full-time game. So welcome and congratulations, Macaulay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's uh, yeah, it's a bit of an exciting time for me. It's um, you know, it's, it's such a, a big step up, and and to be able to have a second year in the season is is massive for me. It, it's really compulsory, isn't it? Because it's such a giant step from Super Two to the main game that uh, you need to have at least a two year span to to understand the tracks, who you're driving against, and learn the, the rest of the game. Yeah, it's pretty much spot on, really. And I think you know, from the from the start, it was a bit of a it's a, you know been a bit of a, a two to three year plan, of, you know, which is what we've always been trying to do. And and I think you're exactly right. You, you can't you can't just do it in one year and 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 know that that's all all you've got. I mean, and you, you've got so many things that you're trying to learn. You know, you're doing you know you're having to do more fuel stops. You're doing tire saving. You're trying to work with engineers twenty four seven and. And you just you're trying to get all your all your ducks in a line, and it's um, it's a very difficult step up. So it's been a, a bit of a, a tough year. It's been a huge learning curve, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. Tell me, um, uh, the biggest thing you, you know, the biggest difference, of course, for Super Two to coming to the main game is the pit stops and the strategy and getting your head around all those sorts of things. I mean, you're you've done Super Two. Did you do two years of it? Uh, I think. Three years. Three years. Yeah. Um, so even though you have that advantage of at least knowing the car, and, you know, it's not dramatic change. I mean, obviously you've been there when you've seen the change from uh, the Albans to the X-Track. Um, that's not a major change, is it, really, for you? No, that's not a two. That, that wasn't too much of a change, really. I think the biggest change is, is when you do step up, I mean, all these guys that have experience, they just know what they want from the car a bit quicker than what I do. So it might take me a little bit longer to, to understand exactly what I want or how to drive around the problem or, or adapting your driving style to suit. And uh, the guys that have been doing it for a few more years can can do that, you know, the, at the drop of a hat, really. And, um, you know, something I've learned through with, with Nick Perkett this year and, and trying to adapt your driving style quite a lot just to, 
to suit different tracks and, and circumstances. And um, it's just such a such a different thing to what you used to with, with Super 2, I think. You know, you never really had a tyre life problem. It was sort of 20-lap races and your tyres kind of held on for, for that whole time where, you know, we're, we're going from soft to hard rounds and, and now endurance races even. Yeah. One of the things that I know talking to your father at... Uh Bathurst, your father Brad, of course, for those who don't know, um, is about pit stops. And that's one thing that, and, and you know, while he didn't want to confirm the, the details, that, you know, your team will have far more control over your pit stops because it will be two cars on the one boom and it'd be your people doing it rather than as it is currently where you have to share the boom with a, with a different crew. Never easy. Yeah, I mean... Um yeah, that is something that that plays a big part. I mean, it's 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 definitely like that at the moment with the, the car eight and fourteen situation, where where they communicate really well about their strategy and and sometimes run an alternate strategy. Or if um you know if they know they have to queue, they can really set it up and and have full control over what's going on. Where at the moment it's you know we've got half of the crew on um on the twenty one and then half on on the Mapstone car um so you know we don't practice together so we go to the race meetings and even with the endurance stuff where we were doing driver change practice it was we just didn't quite have the same procedures because matt stone might have their procedure with their guys and then we have our own procedure with our guys and it's kind of making them having to double up or, or whatnot and it can get confusing at times and and you know you're trying to to race your teammate more because it's whoever's in front has priority so it um it's definitely plays a big part well, when you look at the fact that the two finalists in the pit stop competition were in fact the one crew yeah. in the final was car eight and car fourteen, the two BJR cars, you know, which is yeah. pretty remarkable in itself. I think that was uh, the dream run for them there. You know, these guys, man, they worked so. Well, there was no final and, pit stop competition because yeah. you couldn't have the crew going against themselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, I think they talked about engineers versus mechanics, and I think that wouldn't have gone down too well. <laughs> yeah, look, it, it's uh, just another aspect. Uh, I've, um, you know, your father and uh, and uncle, I have enormous admiration. I mean, I saw them back in the nineties when they were running in, in two litre, but more importantly, I saw their work in NASCAR and Oscar and. By crikey, they have certainly built themselves a, a wonderful team and, and you're part of it and have been for many years. You were doing what before you started driving for the team? Um, I've been a mechanic here for uh, nearly seven years now. So yeah. I did my apprenticeship with them and, and um, you know, even before that I was working on the go karts and then when I went to Formula Ford, I was working on um, someone else's Formula Ford for a little bit. Um, and then working with a TAFE there for that. And then, you know, we did uh, the mechanicing work with Formula Ford, then Super 2, and then some Kumos, the Kumo Series stuff, and now Super 3. Um, and then, yeah, I haven't been too involved with the main series um, supercars working on them so much, um, just because they're so structured with how they, they run their program. But it's, um, it's definitely something I've, I've always um, enjoyed working on. And, and now I've got myself a little uh, a little project car as, a, as an Audi 100. So it's, um, yeah, I can't get enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, uh, unfortunately, you, you're only going to get the uh, the one chance of the Sandown 500 uh, because um, next yeah. year will be at Tail and Bend. 
Yeah, that's going to shake the shake the whole calendar off a little bit. I think it's going to be a, you know, I don't think it was the most exciting race, you know, uh, unfortunately this year at Dale and Ben. So I hope that um, but I hope that it, it's um, going to be quite an interesting endurance race. But I think it's um, a bit of a weird thing for the history of the sport not being at Sandown. It's always going to be, feel a little bit weird from now on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing that uh, Talon Ben does offer, and, and uh, you've driven there and done pit stops there, is that big white apron on the pit. Uh, it just makes a giant uh, difference compared to Sandown. Very cramped. And, you know, when double stacking is a real problem at Sandown pits, isn't it? Yeah, that's very true. I mean, uh, I think the facility at Talon Ben is is absolutely next level. I mean, they've really thought about how it all goes, and the garage is. Uh, uh, are such a good setup, and they've, you know they've got a lot of room for, for us to be able to work in. And um, I think it will produce some some good racing. I think um, it's a it's a great track. It's very it's got a lot a lot of everything pretty much. I mean, um, they've still got a few things that they need to work on with some some curbs and and whatnot. But um, I think they they've come a long way, and and I think by the time we get there next year, it's it's going to be even better again. Well, I, I'm pretty sure in saying that. Uh, Knowing of the Jones family uh, tradition of uh, smart strategies, good pit stops, that uh, yeah. you have a good Sandown 500. Yeah, I think so. Like my uh, my old man, yeah, he he loves the strategy. I think he he watches NASCAR a fair bit, and he loves getting involved with the with the strategy and yelling at the TV to tell him what to do and whatnot. But he's <laughs> uh, but even here, he's he's always got it, um, you know, his eye on on what each of our cars are doing for strategy, and and uh, yeah, he's very switched on with that. I mean, it's like you said before, it's a testament to what he, him and Kim have done since the the nineties when they've been in, uh, you know, they've been through the Audis, uh, Mitsubishi's, and um, you know the old cars as well, and and now with the supercars. But man, I've never seen someone work so hard, and and you know, I'm very grateful to have him. You know, uh, they give you the work ethic, obviously. So enjoy the weekend, McLean. We look forward to catching up with you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. On behalf of Tony Whitlock, I'm Craig Ravel. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.